0: Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now, I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. I've had eight books published already, and I just finished my second novel, so stay tuned for news about when and where you can read it. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngalodner.com, and you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast, where you'll find stories of courageous people daring to share their talent with the world. Now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. It's Lynn Galadner. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm excited for this month's guest. Well, who am I kidding? I'm always excited for my guests. These are fascinating people with wonderful stories and inspiring work that we can model ourselves after and aspire to. So this month, who do I have? I have Dr. Indigo Willing. She's a sociologist, research consultant, and community volunteer at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia. In her work, Dr. Willing examines issues of power, social change, and representation in an effort to build bridges between academia and the community. As an orphan of the Vietnam War, Dr. Willing was adopted into an Australian family and describes herself as an activist who explores how to include more people across communities. She is project leader and co-founder of Consent is Rad and co-founder of We Skate QLD, as well as founder of the Adopted Vietnamese International Network and of one of Australia's largest all-female skate groups, We Skate Queensland. While all of this is phenomenal and inspiring, what really brought Dr. Willing to my attention and inspired me to invite her to be a guest on the Make Meaning podcast was an article on Oldster about how she became a skateboarding sensation at midlife. A month after earning her PhD at 41, Dr. Willing started skateboarding. Let's hear her story on this episode of the Make Meaning Podcast. So hey, Indigo, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to meet you and I am in quite awe of you. I'm not brave enough to skateboard myself, but we will get into your story. And so I want to start with an easy question. Tell me what drew you to skateboarding at the age of 41. <laughs> it's a it's a sort of a
1: lifelong passion story, really. Like when I was little, as a young person, I would catch a bus going past a skate park and see lots and lots of dudes. I don't think there are any um, other genders there. Skateboarding on this giant 10-foot vert ramp, and they just look like they're having so much fun and um, it's very dangerous looking. (laughs) It looks really wild. (laughs) But most of all, they just look really free. And, you know, I'd be on my bus going to uni or going to work or something and just think, wow, I really wish I could just um, walk in and do that. And given the time, there wasn't many, yeah, there wasn't many minorities at the skate park. There wasn't, you know, anybody but sort of, to me anyway, on the bus, sort of, you know, men and, and boys and guys, and I didn't feel confident going in there. And so... I did sort of like the reverse. Most people skateboard, then settle down and do, get a job and do all these other things. <laughs> <But> I, <kinda laughs> like, I did my studies and um, then I finally got a skateboard and I was really, really excited. It wasn't a very good skateboard at all. It was just from the mall or something. And um, I um, I found out the week I bought my skateboard that I was pregnant.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I
1: thought, okay, ma- maybe now is not the time to learn
0: to skateboard. <laughs> you think? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh...
1: Okay getting big like a you know like a beach ball and I was really happy and um you know um but yeah being a a a parent um of a newborn and then a toddler and also studying so at that stage I'd also applied to do a PhD so um yeah I had a lot going on my plate it wasn't the right time Mm -hmm. and then when my son started school then it was the right time (laughs) so then (laughs) I thought okay like i I would really love to uh, follow that dream. So I remember a really inspirational um, woman telling me she was a grandmother and she had an incredibly senior position in government. And she said to me, you you can't, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Yeah. And I agree with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm going to ask you some more about skateboarding. Then I want to go back and hear, you know, your, your early stories. So, um, so we'll get it all in, but how did it feel? when you got on that board and you know after so many years of wanting to and yearning for it? Like what thoughts went through your head? So
1: the very first time that I went skateboarding, um, I attended a workshop for people. So it was a pretty controlled environment at the skate park. It was very welcoming and friendly and intentionally sort of signposted for beginners. So they had a whole bunch of boards you could borrow. Uh, They had coaches that were, you know, there to be friendly and show you the ropes without making you feel too embarrassed. And um, (laughs) yeah, there were lots of people learning uh, for the first time so it was about 12 of us um and I went with a good friend of mine who now runs a skate uh group with me actually mm-hmm. uh, Evie Ryder and we we were both sort of petrified at this sort of what we thought was going to be a really <laughs> macho <laughs> uh, dude-ish sort of environment and of course there are dudes there but they were very very friendly and welcoming and having these sort of you know um workshops for beginners is what makes the difference I think so I would have felt very scared if I just rocked up to the skate park by myself without knowing how to use the space or who to say hi to or where even to put my bag Mm -hmm. to go into this place where people actually show you the etiquette the flow of the skate park you know what's what's the polite thing to do what's sort of you know disruptive in terms of the more experienced skateboarders having their turn and you having yours because Mm -hmm. there's a whole life universe at a skate park that works wow but really you know how to use it yeah you you're kind of in the way a lot of the time or <laughs> maybe not but at least yeah having a, a guide I think is just so important so yeah. I, I felt I felt nervous but I had so much fun on the board something clicked it was um it was like that movie I think um Billy Elliot where um, he's Mm -hmm. a boy that loves ballet and at the very end somebody says why do you want to do ballet or what does it feel like and he says it feels like electricity yeah you know and um, it's the same with a skateboard it's like oxygen it's just perfect sort of feeling for my
0: personality and my disposition I just felt like it was electric and it was like oxygen oh that's amazing you know it's funny I'm detouring actually this is not even on my planned questions but I'm a writer and um and i teach a lot of writing classes and i try to take people especially at midlife back to what they felt when they were younger and writing and like it didn't have to earn money and it didn't have to get published and it was just like you know like when i was little in the 70s i had this little corduroy covered journal that um i would take everywhere and just write stories and skits and poems and whatever and it just filled me up it was like I was meant to write. And then I feel like you get older and you're told like, I need to find a reliable position. I need a a reliable income generator. And so you kind of leave that passion for whatever it was that like really filled you. And I feel like when we get to midlife, you're just sort of like, how can I reclaim that? Like That's really who I am at the core. So uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, you started really skating in earnest later, but it probably did that for you. And I'm sure you felt similar things when you were younger too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So studying skateboarding at 41 is kind of unusual, or it was back then. I think Mm -hmm. more and more um, mums in particular, because I'm a mum, more Uh mums are realizing that there are other mums that are are going to the skate park and having a lot of fun. So um, fun is an essential part. Of our well-being. Having mm-hmm. fun is part of um, every culture across yeah. the world. Yeah. It's a universal yeah. thing that we seek. Um, having fun is socially bonding. It's not just good for our uh, mental health. It's also good just for our social well-being. And um, it just depends how you have that. I mean, we're we're all capable of being silly and <laughs> doing it with other people even better. And skateboarding um gives that sort of affordance. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you you don't you don't make money from it, that's for sure. <laughs> at least I don't. But at my age, there are definitely younger people that will have um, amazing careers with skateboarding, and we're really trying to encourage that with some of the community work that I do. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, as an adult, just having fun for fun's sake is very very important, I think. And you find time for what you love. Yeah. So. I have a lot of friends that are like um, academics or they have more sort of so-called responsible jobs and uh-huh. they have time to go have coffee with a friend. They might have, you know, they have time when it's, you know, when it's asked of them to spend an hour doing something. So spending an hour being um, at a skate park is, you know, uh, really, really, it's, it's not always easy to do, but it's very, very um exciting, exhilarating. And I just
0: find it much more interesting than sitting around the coffee shop or something. Yeah. With other people. So I have a question. This is going to make me sound like a real old fogey and I'll own it. But like, were you scared at all? Were you afraid like, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, break something or I'm going to... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know like when we're younger and we do those things, we don't ever think about it. And now I'm like, it's icy on the sidewalk and I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to fall. So, you know, <laughs> did any of that occur to you or were you just like, no, I need to get on the board?
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot of injury in skateboarding. That's for sure. Especially if you want to progress to doing tricks at the skate park and, um, everybody carries their own danger and risk level and capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we all have a capacity to take risks and, um, to take, um, ourselves into situations where we might um, physically fail we might hurt ourselves but the thing with skateboarding is most people just get up and do it again mm-hmm. it's a drive to um, fail until you get something so there's I think a saying in skateboarding don't do it till you get it right do it until you can't get it wrong mm, I so like that. yeah I mean it's just like a human nature that we like to progress in something and um, even when you get a child and you give them some lego you mm-hmm. know like um, they, they continue to progress what they're building. They find new ways to use the Lego. They get really absorbed by it. And um, there are various frustrations along the way and you can't find new peace. And, you know, maybe it doesn't look like you want it and you have to take, pull it all down and start again. And skateboarding is very much like that. It's a stages of um, progression. With the physical side of it, um, I would suggest to learners that they get all the um, safety equipment and, yeah. you know, that, that can help with confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have a background in dancing and um, figure skating and I've, I've le- led a reasonably <laughs> toughish life, even despite that, like people were very racist where I grew up and I'm, I'm used to all kinds of um, challenges and just sort of really just getting up off the ground when you push down. So yeah. uh, skateboarding was for me in that respect.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we'll skip ahead. And I want to hear about your upbringing. I know that you were an orphan and refugee from the Vietnam War. And so tell me how, like, take me through the journey and how your experiences informed what has come after. I think coming from an orphanage in the Vietnam War has shaped my life every day.
1: And every time I look in the mirror, I wonder um, a little bit about who I am, but I also feel the need to uh, be responsible for the opportunities that I have in front of me um, and the twist of fate that sometimes happens. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm very proud of being Vietnamese. I, I don't speak the language and I'm not very um, traditionally Vietnamese culturally, mm-hmm. but I think you always carry within you a sense of connection to your relatives, to your ancestors and to the legacy they leave. In Vietnamese culture as well, there's um, a very strong belief in a connection between the dead and the living. And, in fact, in their Tet Festival, TET, um, once a year, it's like a stage where heaven and earth meet. And uh, it's maybe it's a bit like how in Mexico they have the Day of the Dead or something. Mm-hmm. But it's a time to honour your ancestors and the ghosts of your ancestors, you know, pay them respect and they can watch over you. And it's, yeah, it's sort of... Um, not a very Western approach <laughs> to yeah. how you see the universe, but definitely yeah. it's something that I feel very strongly. So I've always grown up being an outsider. I was raised by um white Australian family, mm-hmm. so two brothers mm-hmm. and my parents that were all white, and it wasn't a highly Vietnamese populated area that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little used to being a misfit and mm-hmm. um, just being very independent. And it affords you two things. It lets you see through all the nonsense when people are racist because you know it doesn't really make any difference to how you connect and all the stereotypes about Asians and white people and whoever. Mm -hmm. They don't really hold true when you're adopted. Um, Secondly, I think it also makes you feel a connection with strangers very quickly. Uh, You have to do that. So it's a nice way to operate in the world in general and specifically in skateboarding, no matter what background people are from or what race or what um, ethnicity or cultural background, um, it's looking for the ways that you can connect with people um, in a really nice, you know, meaningful way. So I guess there's a lot of, you know, different stories about adoption I could tell you and some of them are a bit more on the harder side and the darker side and the traumatic side. And I've written about that in plenty of things, but yeah. I just wanted to concentrate today on the connection back to skateboarding. It gives you an independence. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, I really appreciate a little bit of backstory. Obviously, um, what drew me to you was everything that I read about you skateboarding later in life and really becoming this this amazing force and inspiration. And and with that in mind, I know now you lead one of Australia's largest all female skate groups. We Skate Queensland, right?
1: Um, actually, it's yeah, it's um, th- it's not all female. We we okay. started off as um, Girls Skate Brisbane, okay, and it was an all girls group of skateboarders, and then we okay. started finding out that the people skateboarding with us, the people that were running the skateboarding group with us and just skateboarders in general. Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot more diversity, there's a lot more gender diversity. So Mm -hmm. we have um, you know, women, non-binary skaters, men skaters that want to hang out and be really supportive. So Mm -hmm. we changed from Girl Skate Brisbane to We Skate Queensland. Okay. To be all inclusive of the people we are we are and also the people that are skating with us. Sure. And um yeah it was a very important move because I think any scene, you know, once you can get past that girls only focus, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you want. You want you want everyone just to be a skateboarder. You don't want them to be specifically, yeah. you know, this is this is for you know you because you don't
0: fit in. So yeah, yeah. So what does yeah. We Skate Queensland do?
1: Um, okay. So in skateboarding, it still can be a bit lonely when you turn up to the skate park. So We Skate Queensland make sure that we have Meetups once a month where people that are new to the skate park, or maybe they just still feel a bit vulnerable or whatever, can uh, have a safe space to skate. Mm-hmm. We also have an annual competition that is for everybody that is you know at beginner's level right up to they want to be in the Olympics one day. Wow. And we hold different you know kind of um, levels of skate competitions. It's open genders, but people <laughs> get a get a the experience of how to be in a skate competition. So we have everything, what we call the silly division, where we give out prizes for people that have the silliest skate tricks. And, you know, people are really really have a lot of fun with that and uh, pull faces or do, you know, giant trains where they're all holding hands across the skate park to, yeah, that really elite level where we've had people that are now sponsored. And um, they will definitely be in the Olympics in the future, having a go to and getting prizes and Apart from that, we're trying to make skateboarding more inclusive across the board. So we give women and kids and non-binary and, and trans and all types of different skateboarders with different backgrounds an opportunity to emcee um, at mm. the events, yes. be judges, events mm-hmm. management, yes. run market stalls. So it's really the culture of skateboarding making as as inclusive and diverse as possible is what We Skate Queensland do. And um, it reflects who we are as well. So I founded it with um, Evie Ryder and Tora Waldron. Mm-hmm. And we've got um, two other people that have joined us, um, Lily Turek and Milly Miljavec and a whole bunch of volunteers mm-hmm. from all different you know, backgrounds. So Vietnamese, Australian, um, you know, we've got like, you know, queer skateboarders. We've got sort of all different types of people
0: giving us their experiences and shaping how skateboard is for them. That's awesome. That's so great. I know that you also lead other movements, and you're you're pretty activist in a lot of directions. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your other passions or efforts that you're <laughs> leading as well? Um, yeah. So I I'm I'm really about community as opposed to
1: activism. I think activism just is a little bit narrow and focused, and you can lose sight of how everybody should benefit from whatever social change you want. Um, so I'm, I'm very much into community, and because I was raised by people from a different culture, mm-hmm. um, my my grandmother, who's not Vietnamese, but she's a very wise person, and she was a sort of an anti-war activist, and really cool. Mm, yeah. so it reminded me always to put community before clicks, uh-huh. and to put um, you know people before popularity. I mean, it was such a good upbringing because any any scene that you join will have you know popular groups, and will have. You know, people that are celebrities or like the popular people or the cool yeah. people, and yeah. and I love that. But I think it's also important to look at what are the common needs and common values and common ways that people can get together and find solutions for things that affect part of the community and therefore it affects everybody in a sense. So some of the other things that I do is um, I I co-run a initiative called Consent Is Rad as mm-hmm. a radical R A D yeah yeah. <laughs> And um that's, that was launched in a skateboarding conference of all things. A, a skateboarding conference for academics and wow. skateboarding.
0: Yeah, huh. yeah. Really, really quick. Cool like, I'm stuff. trying to get my head around that. A skateboarding conference for academics. Like I, I have to understand that. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So um What it was, it was, I think, a week-long event in Malmö, Sweden. It was the second one that Pushing Borders, who were the people that organized it, yeah, they they did it in London first, sorry, and then they did it in Sweden. And what it does is it brings together um, the handful of academics from architecture, sociology, social work, um, business, who skateboard and write about skateboarding Mm -hmm. uh, together with the actual business side of skateboarding. So the industry, so the people that make the wheels and the boards and the sporting companies Mm -hmm. together again with people that might do skateboarding, social projects and community work Mm-hmm. So that might mean people that bring um, skateboarding to new communities that haven't done it before and say Afghanistan or, you know, um, Cambodia and bring more gender diversity into skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was like five days of sort of listening to each other and what we're up to and how we've approached problems in our community and made change or the changes that we want and what sort of help we need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I was just very lucky that I was able to launch Consent is red at that international event mm-hmm. uh with an audience that was made up of some of the most influential and wise people in skateboarding and i don't mean the academics i mean the skateboarders that are you know have been skateboarding for you know 20 plus years and um yeah and sort of that was really helpful because it's very hard to talk about in any i guess you know um any sport or any any subcultural scene the topic of uh, consent. Yeah. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable thing to bring it up in the workplace. I think things like um, sexual harassment and the more serious spectrum of that, so sexual assault, mm-hmm. people feel very awkward talking about that. So the idea of consent is rad was simply to start a conversation mm-hmm. and to draw attention and normalize this idea that we should ask for consent
0: yeah. in
1: our everyday practices, but also those um, boundaries that are crossed and mm-hmm. how to not be just a bystander and turn into an ally
0: mm.
1: and make change and change the culture to be less, less hostile and unsafe for p- some people. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So it's a global effort then. Yeah, uh, we were very fortunate um, to have the global audience to launch it. And then the participants so far that have been helping us with the campaign campaign Come from everywhere. So the United States. From we've got a collaboration going on with the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, people in Sweden. The type of people that we feature from all over the world. So it could just be some skateboarders in, um, you know, the Netherlands that want to make a video mm-hmm. of people painting consent as red right on a wall. More sustained efforts like running an actual education program for skate companies and elite skateboarders to mm-hmm. learn about consent. That's
0: great. That's awesome. And anything else that you want to mention? Any of the other efforts or movements that you're part of? <laughs> um, there's,
1: there's so much going on that um, I think probably not my movement or um, maybe they share the movement as well, but I definitely really like to emphasize the diversity in skateboarding mm-hmm. um, and First Nations or indigenous skateboarding companies out there that mm-hmm. um, don't always get the spotlight, but definitely do the work and are very exciting. And, you know, there's so much that Um, non-Indigenous people can learn from their skateboarding scenes and what they're creating in their DIY cultures and just the enormous love for skateboarding and gnarliness of what they're doing. So, yeah, yeah,
0: I think, uh, you know, paying attention to some of those First Nations and Indigenous skateboarding companies Awesome. We'll put it all in the show notes and make sure that there are links so people can check it out and, and yeah. definitely learn more. Um, before we close, I want to ask just a couple more questions. I'd love to touch on some of your scholarly work. I know that you are a university professor. Can you tell me a little bit about what your focus is and what you're hoping to accomplish in the classroom? Okay. So
1: um, in Australia, um, you, you're not called a professor. You're called a doctor until you are a professor. So professors okay. are- very 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 senior, and um, hopefully there's more young younger professors and more genders, but this sort of um, stereotype of the stuffy <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> um, okay. So you 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 start off as a lecturer, and you one day will be a professor if you want to go that um, pathway. But I kind of like live a bit freer and Uh (laughs) kind of like lose cannon and enjoy Uh um, all kinds of things. So I do my community work. I skateboard. I spend a lot of time just hanging out with my son and being a Mm mum. And I do love teaching, though. So Mm -hmm. I teach uh, people research methods. Okay. And what they do is they take their passion and say, I want to do this research project, and I teach them um, how to interview or do focus groups or visual research and Mm -hmm. just turn their ideas into practical ways to connect with people and get their perspectives and then share them. Yeah. I, I only teach what I want. I think if you're a full time academic, you, you get a lot of you get told to do what a lot of I yeah. think I
0: before. I'm very independent and I just I just want to do cool things. I love it. Oh, I love it. No, that's it that's enough. Like I, I can totally relate. I'm I'm a very, I'm a strong woman and I love my independence and yeah. you just want to go where your passions take you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I work my ass off and I work three jobs sometimes and I just, I, I don't have
1: much sleep and I'm up at 4am <laughs> sometimes doing work. So I don't want to make it sound like this is an easy path for anybody, yeah. but I think it's the right path for me to, mm-hmm. um, Yeah you know, have a bit more freedom and flexibility and use my energies across several
0: different areas for um, what I want to do in the world. Yeah. You know, you've received a lot of coverage. There have been articles and interviews really all over the world, and uh, which is how I found you all the way, you know, 14 hours ahead on another day. Um, So I wonder what message you would say your life is offering to others or, you know, what do you want them to see in you, you know, that... (laughs) I know that sounds really big and, and sort of uncomfortable, but what are you hoping people um, think or learn when they see you and learn about you? (laughs) (laughs) I,
1: I I learned something very great from the people I meet and um, I'm not sure Kim Woozy, a Asian skate, Asian American skateboarder coined the term, but she definitely um, shares it a lot and it's very inspiring. She says, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And I think that applies to everybody. So it doesn't matter what your background, your age, your passion, um, when you put yourself out there, don't think of it as like an individual, hey, look at me kind of thing. Think of it as a, a person in the community that is making it okay and normalizing somebody else with similar background or similar hopes or similar levels of what you do. To also be in that space, you, you're literally making space by being out there and talking and sharing a story. So it really is about representation and and not being like the first person to do something, but just having that space and bringing people there that you it's not unusual for you to be there.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I don't it. want
1: to be unique and the first mom doing something or anything like that. I want to I want to not even be a mom yeah. skater. I just want to be a skater. So we just need to uh, point out that we exist even with this background or because of this background. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we all have something that we have in common and we all deserve to
0: be in this world doing what we do, doing our I love thing. It. I love it. Well, Indigo Willing, we it's been so great chatting with you. And I just want to thank you for being a guest on the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or limgolodner.com.